0: Welcome to the Conversions Podcast, where we discuss conversion rate optimization and the latest tips, technologies, and actionable strategies that you can actually use to get more of your website's visitors to take action. And now, your host, Francis Teo.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Conversions Podcast. We've been off the air for a while, but now we are back and ready to give you even more strategic advice and tips on how to improve your conversion rates on your websites. We've lined up some exciting guests in the conversion optimization space, and I will also be doing a couple of episodes to help introduce the fundamentals of conversion rate optimization and analytics to our listeners. Before we get started, let's take a look at some iTunes reviews. We have a five-star review from Lucas Hiehemberger. He says, thanks a lot for this awesome podcast and sharing all this great information with us. I enjoy listening to you and your guests. I'm looking forward to listening to the upcoming episodes. Thanks for the kind words, Lucas. If you would like your review to be read on air, please do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. Now on to today's episode. Today we have with us Bobby Hewitt. He's a conversion rate optimization specialist at Creative Thirst and host of the Conversion Rate Marketing Academy podcast. He has over 10 years of combined experience in web design, internet marketing, web analytics, and conversion rate optimization. Welcome to the podcast, Bobby. Thanks, Francis. Thanks for having me on. I've been a long-time listener. Thanks for being a long-time listener. Could you tell us
0: how you got into conversion optimization? Absolutely. My story's a little bit strange, actually. I got into conversion optimization out of frustration. So let me explain a bit. I started with a marketing degree, you know, fresh out of college before the days of the internet. And shortly after graduating, you know, the rise of the internet came on quickly and, and I saw the direction of everything was going in towards that way. And fortunately, I've also had uh, the ability to draw and paint. It had a very uh, sort of design style, design eye. So I, I taught myself how to do web design, how to do Photoshop, how to do HTML, put together a portfolio and got a job at an ad agency. And... From there, I moved on to an in-house designer and then moved on to various design jobs. And what really frustrated me was the marketing side of me really wanted to do designs that really move the needle, right? That really spoke to a purpose because I see design and marketing as the same thing. They're really just two sides of the coin. They're both solving the same problem. They're both getting someone to take an action, but from the design seat uh, it was really very subjective. Either you know, either you liked it or you didn't. So it was all about satisfying the client and, and making them happy based on a purely subjective opinion of the design. And those were the days before analytics. So as soon as analytics came out, uh, I was working in house, moved on from the agency as an in house designer, and I was lucky enough to get access to uh, web trends, which was even before Google Analytics days. And I saw analytics as the the link that I was looking for, the holy grail between the data and the design. So that's when I dove into analytics, learned everything I could. read everything about it at the time. And I saw if I could track these things, if I could say, okay, this button, you know, should be blue or this button should be over here or this layout should be this way because of the data that really would remove the subjectivity of design and elevate it and really solve the problem that design and marketing are trying to solve so from there I got further back into marketing um, and started reading uh, Brian Eisenberg's books at the time I think he only had this one book called Action Out and that led me down the rabbit hole back into you know copywriting and Ogilvy on advertising and influenced by Robert Cialdini and back into the whole bag of marketing which I had actually never stopped reading uh, all throughout my years after college and that quickly you know Found my way to conversion rate optimization from there. And ironically, from the design position, I, I moved back into a marketing seat at a small company. And that's really where I could start applying all the things that I've been reading and learning over the years uh, that I would, wasn't able to get through to uh, the agency people or the in-house people because it was all just too new. So since then, I've branched out on my own and started my own conversion rate optimization agency.
1: Okay, awesome. I think it's kind of interesting because you have a marketing background and you started at an ad agency and at most ad agencies, there's Well, at least those I've seen, there's this prevailing culture where there's not much of testing, there's not much of analytics, it's very creative. So it's interesting that you went from that to transitioning to something that's more analytics and data driven.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. There really, that was not part of the culture at all. It was really just make it pretty. So did
1: you feel a great gravitational pull that, you know, uh, pulling you towards that kind of uh, that style of work?
0: Well, I I was torn. That's that's where the frustration came. You know, I was torn between yeah, I I do want to make it pretty because I do have a design sense and I do have a you know, simplicity and beauty and all that kind of thing. But at the same time, we're, we're producing this not not hang on the wall. You know, <laughs> either you like Van Gogh or you like Monet, there's not much I could do about that. But what we're producing is is a piece for a client that needs to do something, you know, it, it needs to actually perform. It's not about the client wants it to be this way because they like it or they showed it to their wife and they don't like it. And they, it really comes down to tracking and numbers and, and revenue, really, at the end of the day.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So, yeah, but I think the mix in education has, has and experience has helped you become a better conversion optimizer.
0: I think so. I think I have really found my place through frustration. So, how long have you been doing this? Um, uh, let's see. On my own now for a little over two years. Uh, prior to that, yeah, prior to that, in the marketing seat, uh, I was with a, a small company as a marketing director for about five years. And so, I've been I've been applying it you know a little bits here and there as a marketing director in that position. I was finally able to you know call the shots and, and say, okay, we're we're doing testing. We're doing this. This is why. And, you know, I didn't have to convince. A lot of people, because I was at I was at the the helm basically. But in that role, I've also done a lot of other marketing, you know, tasks. Everything from pay per click or managing a pay per click agency, getting into the SEO side, getting into the the analytics side again, getting into a little bit of like almost a creative director side with um, with designers and and telling them, you know, what kind of newsletters we need to produce and why it needs to be that way and redesigns of sites and the whole gamut. But really my passion always went back to testing.
1: So in, in your experience, could you tell us whether you have some like overall strategy or process you use for increasing conversions
0: on websites? Yeah, absolutely. I use a data-centric approach on top of a heuristics framework with a focus on profit. So what I mean by that is two things, basically. First, I mean that the the data leads, and the, the, the data leads second to optimization, basically. So rather than uh, just apply a pure heuristic, which you know just takes a look at the friction, the anxiety on the page, the motivation of the user, I, I first apply a, a level of data to it. So I dive into your your analytics first and get an understanding of what the data. Is telling me. I right? try to understand where the customers are clicking on the website. Then I go deeper into what are your visitors telling you, right? These this is the things that the data can't can't tell you right out. So this is really more understanding the why, right? Why the visitors are doing that. And then I actually sort of walk through the the shoes of the customer and do some usability testing see what they're actually doing, where where the friction is in their mind. Right? Because if you just apply a heuristic framework, you're really just seeing the, the the friction from your point of view. But if you apply the, the data framework on top of the heuristic and really get as close to the customer as po- possible, then you can use all that data plus your own sort of intuition to develop. Uh, your research questions and your hypothesis. And my focus is really more on optimizing for revenue, which is kind of different than optimizing for conversion. Uh, for conversion, you really only care about uh, you know, increasing that percentage, but that percentage is very is very elusive because you can increase the conversion percentage, but uh, if you don't track it all the way through or if you don't really track it through to revenue or or look at optimizing the revenue, in the long run, you may actually be hurting revenue rather than helping even though you've increased conversion.
1: So when you say conversion, you
0: mean clicks or when you're comparing conversion to revenue? So when I'm comparing that, what I mean is, let's say for a standard uh, A-B test, you'd have a conversion goal of you know getting, getting to the goal page or getting to the thank you page. So if we had an increase in getting to the thank you page, our conversions go up. But... Uh, Along the way, let's say the sales page has multiple options. So we're not just selling one thing, we're selling flavors of that one thing. So some of my clients are uh, in the healthcare supplement space. So a good example would be on one sales page, a client is selling uh, three different options of the same supplement. So they could buy a one bottle, a two bottle, or a three bottle. And if we're just tracking conversions straight, we're getting more people through the funnel to the thanks, but we don't know if more of them are buying the one bottle or more of them are buying the three bottle or the six bottle. Optimizing for revenue on top of that optimizes for total, total revenue gained. So we could have an increase in conversion if we're just measuring that just by increasing overall one, three or six. Or we could optimize for revenue and maybe the conversion won't go as high. Or maybe we'll have a version that's actually in the numbers looks like a loser. But when you dig deeper, we sold more of the six bottle in this version, then we did the one bottle. So therefore, the revenue is higher. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally makes sense.
1: That's very similar to what we do as well. Although I'm not... I Of course, the end game is you really want to increase revenue because all, every business wants to increase revenue. But I found that the conversion rate... Uh, as defined by not a click but the actual sale is a very good very good metric as well to measure as well as like on along the way because uh, it's as you know as all testers know it's really hard to get a statistically significant result all the way back to the to the end of the funnel that's ideal but in in case that you don't having just like a a micro conversion along the way for example a number of people who check out it's a very good indicator of whether you're moving in the right direction so I was. Previously, very stubborn on this revenue. We must get that revenue gain. Uh, But now I'm more like, well, if there's an indicator that we have a statistically significant number checking out, then... That's a positive indicator. We still want the revenue, but we know if the test didn't didn't conclude for a for conc- uh, a statistically significant conclusion in revenue, at least we know that more people are checking out, and that's a really significant step that we can tell that we are moving in the right direction.
0: Absolutely, they both go hand in hand: optimizing for conversion, and optimizing for revenue. It's just that when you just look at one route or the other, you're you're sort of missing the other hand. You know, you can't operate with just one hand
1: unfortunately not it's really challenging to to optimize in this fashion i have to say
0: it is it, it is and it's really not spoken about that much in, in the industry we're not spoken as much as it should be
1: well let's all speak about it a bit more because it's really hard and it's really frustrating sometimes because it's such a long funnel all the way from the click to the to the sale
0: yes yes and it, it takes a lot of patience uh, on the client side as well. So
1: I'm going to digress a bit and um, ask you about a, a problem that we always have when we're optimizing in this fashion, since you, since you are enthusiastic about this optimizing for revenue. The, the actual number of people who check out and complete a transaction is going to be very small. So you're going to need a huge amount of traffic in order to get that number of conversions to yield a statistically significant result. And this is just like statistics. So how do you deal with that?
0: Well, it depends. right? It depends on... Uh, ideally, you want your test to be as, as short as possible, in the shortest time frame yes. as possible. Because the longer you run a test, the more you know, problems you, you have of it remaining statistically confident and other factors involved and you know, other validity threats in the test. Mm-hmm. So, one way I deal with this, and it's, it may not even be the best way, is to just look at uh, past data. So, do uh, comparatively, of you know, previously to the test versus now, or if it's a seasonal product, last year at this time versus versus during this test period.
1: So that's not necessarily a A/B split test.
0: No, no, it's well the A/B split test is is going on, uh, you know, with the sales pages, and is optimizing for conversion, and we're looking at revenue maybe from now compared to the past.
1: Okay, that that's a valid approach. Not exactly ideal but i can totally see how it could come into play
0: agreed it's not the ideal situation
1: and people who have never done this kind of testing would not understand how the problems and why we have to resolve as one of these things um, even doing a before and after test sometimes i don't like to do it i have to say i hate to do it but if if that compared to running the test for the next six months we have to make a call at some point
0: exactly it's the better of two evils Unfortunately, we're not in a controlled laboratory with this. and There's so many factors involved that it just don't exist with a, a laboratory. We can control the environment where this we really can't. I mean, the weather even affects the decisions or, or what's on TV may affect uh, conversions.
1: I'm going to be clear that, you know, we don't recommend... We recommend using a scientific controlled test when possible. And I think you agree with me, right? Yeah, so I don't want... I don't want the listeners going away and thinking like, oh, you know, this means we can skimp on the AV testing I, I don't think that's the point here
0: oh no 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 no, you you have to like I said, you have to use both. It's it's the right hand and the left hand, right, in combination. Awesome,
1: awesome. So that that's a difficult problem that I think a lot of e-commerce shop owners who are listening in would be interested in. So could you tell us uh some of the top three or your top three or even the top conversion problems you see on websites and e-commerce shops and maybe I guess when you say your your clients are mostly in the healthcare and supplements, so this would be like lead generation as well as e-commerce. So what are some of the problems you see? see on the internet or for your clients today
0: so lead generation is is probably a separate subset of it Uh, but really the top three the top three problems i see consistently with you know regardless of the company regardless of the the product uh, within that supplement space really comes down to this trust is probably the biggest one so in that respect i mean the visitor coming to the page looking at at the supplement, if they haven't taken it before, that is, their main concern is, is this going to work? Is it going to work for me? Do I, do I trust what they're telling me about this product? Second, I would say, would be credibility. You know, are you a reputable company? Can I count on you? Uh, how long have you been around? And third, I, I would say, is the offer. So in this area, is, a, is very tricky as well. It's Sometimes it's not the right offer to maximize the profit. So for example, in that one bottle, three bottle, six bottle option, uh, there may be a better profit maximizers if the offer was changed to you know, buy one get one free versus two bottle you know or putting a, a recurring or continuity option on the bottle of you know buy the buy one bottle now and sign up for monthly continuity at a lower rate uh, for that kind
1: of issue how do you ac- exactly
0: measure the because this is a continuity
1: program and they sign up for maybe 3 6 months or maybe even a year how do you measure the the lifetime value of customer of the customer and compare it to a straight sale because i would see that part of it would at least have to be a projection
0: you really can't you have to deal with e- each of those individually so okay. it's kind of like i optimize for straight sale as one goal one one test and then another mm. another test or or a secondary goal optimizing for continuity and sometimes the continuity optimization is not always uh, on-page site optimization. Sometimes the continuity optimization may come in an email sequence follow-up, or even a telemarketing sequence or a direct mail follow-up.
1: Okay, so it's, it's probably quite a op, hard optimization problem, just because it's so complex in terms of the funnel design. Absolutely. Yeah, I just have a well, just have a follow-up question. It would be something like, for these. Complex funnels, do you test pricing? Because I've always had people asking me, like, how do you test pricing? And I tell them, like, it's not really technically possible for most platforms. It's really hard to test pricing these days. Do you test pricing?
0: I do. I do test pricing. Did, that's a slippery slope as well. There's, there's, I think, two ways to do it. Well, I guess there's really one way to do it, right? The, the ethical way to do it. <laughs> um, the... And what I mean by that is if we just take the same product and change the price, that's not too ethical. You should add something to it uh, to, to justify why the price is different or if the test okay. is... Or you know, if you find at the end of the test that the lower price was the winner, uh, you could then go back and sort of refund or give credit to all the people who take the higher price. But I, I have done price testing in the past and that gets very tricky as well. For that, I like to to sort of look at it in uh, two different ways. So look at it in, uh, and that's one example where the the conversion rate is kind of, thrown out the window. So I look at the the revenue, like a revenue per click, revenue earnings per click, uh, that approach. And then I also, so initially we we call the winner based on that. But because I'm a little bit skeptical, I like to track the lifetime value of those purchases at, at each different price point over time and really see, okay, what is it in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, 120 days to really see, okay, are we you know, because in the short term we may be gaining the revenue per click, maybe higher, you know, at one price point. But in the long term, maybe the lifetime value is lower. So it's really a long-term test. Okay. So,
1: well, I I find this topic really interesting. So I'm just gonna like come up with some follow-up questions. So, with regards to the, the actual testing of the pricing, how do you achieve that technically? Because the way that we usually do it is basically clone the product and. If, if the merchant has, like, a lot of products will end up with, like, a really huge amount of SKUs at, 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 at different price points that it's really hard to manage. How do you get around
0: that? Unfortunately, I don't. <laughs> I do the same thing. Clone, clone the page,
1: create a new SKU. <laughs> okay, so I was I was thinking, like, oh, you have some, like, magical solution that I don't know about because this is the only way I've seen and can get really messy really quickly.
0: Yes, yes, you're right. There, there's no... Elegant way to do it because of that, it's usually uh, you know one of the last things we test, and it's usually re- reserved for maybe one of the most popular you know products. It's it's really picking your battles at that point. It's like is it is it worth the effort on these tiny products that don't sell much? Probably not. Is it worth the the effort on your flagship product? Yeah, that could be a game changer for your business.
1: Mm, yeah, that's more or less what we do as well. Um, with regards to the to the tracking the lifetime value of the customer, how do you use special tool to do this?
0: Not really. I just use Excel.
1: Okay, so you don't recommend any like cool analytics software that I know uh, several of the products now can help with that. So you don't use any of that.
0: Not currently. It's probably because of the sophistication level of my clients, more more likely. Okay, cool. That uh, that's the easy way around it, and
1: I don't really track that as well so closely. It's more of the first sale because
0: it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, and it takes it takes time too. I mean, even after the test is over, it's kind of like, oh yeah, we gotta go back to that and see what it looks like. You know, one hundred twenty days out. That's the last thing people are thinking of. And at that point, you may have moved on to you know. Test iteration seven or eight, and but that's fine as long as you keep that in the back of your mind and keep that Excel file somewhere. I use just reminders in uh, on the Mac just to remind me: uh, this date, go go back and check the lifetime value of this product." Yeah,
1: I think that the tools are getting more mature, and very soon we will be able to get all that data down to the exact who purchased what and how much they purchased in the last three years. That kind of thing. It's coming.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm surprised we're not there. Like I. I really wish we would move faster.
1: <laughs> I believe you can do that in Kiss Metrics at the moment. And the new Google Universal Analytics, uh, it's sort of still in beta, I believe. Um, played around with it a bit. That kind of capability is there, if I'm not wrong. I haven't really configured it to a complex level, but that capability is is there in the technology existing today. The only thing is it's not easy to set up accurately.
0: Yeah, and not many people are know about it or or know the value of it to to actually do it
1: yeah so well growth area for you and for me i guess
0: absolutely i I think it's kind of like even though the the tools are there they're they're stagnated by the, the people
1: yeah you need a computer science degree to set it up and i have a computer science degree and i find it like this is challenging So, yeah. Are there any other conversion problems you would like to point out? Those are
0: really the the biggest, at least in this space. I think each niche or each product is is really
1: unique. Yeah, that's a recurring theme on this podcast. Like, we have all the testers coming on and say, uh, they they will say something like, it depends, you know, every situation is unique. Yeah, unfortunately, that's
0: the answer. (laughs) You know, because it's not only the product and uh, maybe some of the uh, concerns that are around that particular product, but it's also the audience. Absolutely. And not, not only that, the, the source of the audience too would have a big effect. So if you have a lot of cold traffic coming in, you know, from banners or pay per click, uh, that's not going to perform as well or even the same as, you know, a house list of warm traffic. So the conversion problems of cold traffic is completely different from the conversion problems of a warm traffic, even on the same product and the same website. Yeah, testing seems to be really complex. It is, I mean, if you just look at it from the top, it's like, oh yeah, I just put two pages up and see which wins. But.
1: So sometimes nice, I wish an ideal laboratory environment, like everything is controlled. You get the same amount of traffic, the same kind of traffic, the same profile every single month. That never happens, ever.
0: Nope. No, Those those guys in the in the white lab coats in the hermetically sealed room are, are spoiled.
1: So uh, let's just move on a bit. Could you share with us some of the more interesting conversion optimization case studies you've worked on and maybe some of the lessons learned from that?
0: Yeah, sure. So there's one that I, was, I thought about this for a while, uh, knowing this podcast would come up. And I, I picked one that has a, a two-step conversion funnel. So page one. Uh, is a long-form sales letter that captures part of the order. Uh, it just captures your name and, and address. And page two is the order form, uh, which captures your credit card. So this particular test, uh, the sales letter, we did a test on the sales letter part, and it had minimal impact. It was only a 6.63% improvement on conversion to sale. But I also measured all the way through at, at every step, uh, which is vital for optimizing revenue. And, and what that showed is that the minimal impact improvement page got way more people to step two, the order form page, like seventeen percent more than the control page. So I started, you know, digging in and, and really asking why. You know, why was it? Why was it only a six percent lift in overall conversion, yet seventeen percent lift from step one page to step two page? So what I've identified was that there was friction on the step two page, and uh, friction within the offer presentation is what I tested. So I, uh, the follow up test was to test the order page uh, rather than the sales page again. And this is kind of what I mean by optimizing for revenue and, and tracking it at every step. I'm really looking at it individually as parts, but also holistically as a, an entire unit. So the second test, which was on the order page, had a 24% boost in orders on top of the uh, 6% overall. So once we optimized the second step, that improved the first step, even though the first step test was done and over with, if that
1: makes sense. Maybe you could describe the the actual optimization, at least the concept behind it. So you first optimized the sales page. So the control version was a regular shorter copy and the, the treatment was a longer sales copy?
0: No, actually they were both long copy.
1: Okay. So what was the concept behind the changes?
0: Uh, the concept behind there was increase the, the trust, increase the credibility. So we had a doctor endorsement on one, no doctor endorsement on another, put trust marks on one and not on the other. You know, secure site, uh, secured, secure uh, Better Business Bureau images, that, that sort of credibility building things.
1: So you found that from the first test, you had an increased click-through to the order form, but overall you did not get a basically increased return in, on, in terms of revenue? Is that about right?
0: No, we did. We did. We had a six percent increase on conversion to sale. Six percent
1: increase in conversion to sale. Okay, so that's basically number of conversions.
0: Right. So we had a we had an increase in in conversion sales from from the sales page test and
1: the revenue. I don't
0: think I can share the numbers with revenue. Uh,
1: okay sure 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 i mean clients get get a bit concerned so anything that you don't want to reveal that's that's fine i'm sure our listeners will understand so then when you found that there's a friction on the order form you optimized that and did you get an increase in the overall conversions yes
0: that was a 24 percent boost in sales conversion this particular flow just had one product so it was just a one bottle offer it was a trial offer what was the main thing you optimized on order form on your second test? The order form I optimized. Uh, there was three different treatments and. This was a, a trial offer, so it was basically you try try a bottle of this supplement and get put on a recurring monthly mm-hmm. subscription to it. And what I had tested here was reorganizing the layout of the page on top of the wording for that recurring subscription. So it was new okay. new copy for the re- recurring and reorganization of the layout. Previously, to the control page had uh, your your name and address up top, like a, st- a very standard layout, uh, what you would see in a normal sort of shopping cart. Just on one page, you know, your name, your address, uh, shipping information, and then your credit card information and then the buy button. So in this test, I flipped it, put the credit card information up first and your name, address and everything underneath and then the buy button. And my reasoning for that was that when you're, because it was a two-step System, And you already sort of uh, put in your order form information in step one. It was redundant to see it again. It's not what you were expecting to see. So you've already put in your name and address. Click the button. Now you're taking a step two page. And the control was the first thing you were looking at is the control, you know, above the, the header of the, the trial of here's the bottle that you're going to get was your information that you already seen. So by putting the credit card information first, I'm sort of playing on a momentum factor, getting someone that they've already started down this road. They've already invested the the time effort to put in their their name and address now it's just one minor step to get over and that's put in your credit card but then oh wait let's make it more clear with a copy underneath underneath that credit card so you've already gone through the pain of putting in your credit card now you're now you've got uh now you've got to wrestle with the continuity portion you know do you really want this free trial if it means you're gonna get put on a monthly subscription and so this this test actually just was a recent winner. So we still have to sort of track it through to see if those continuity offers or continuity visitors or customers, uh, you know, remain, you know, are we, are we just increasing the the trial or are we really increasing the the continuity revenue?
1: So how much of a lift do you get from the second test?
0: This was a 24% boost. Basically you moved
1: the credit card fields earlier in the conversion sequence. Wouldn't that increase the friction?
0: Exactly. That's why diving deeper, it, it's kind of counterintuitive.
1: Okay. Sometimes nice, we test momentum as well, and we've had it backfire on us in a bad way. So I guess it's it's really interesting that you're testing this.
0: Yeah. It, and in the third variation was the same layout credit card first actually there was one element before the credit card uh, but still credit card higher than name and address the same copy used on the the recurring uh, but the other additional element was a video putting a video on the order page that actually did have a, an improvement uh, but it wasn't as high as without the video, uh, with the video, had a 24% boost at, at a 97% confidence level. With, uh, I'm sorry, without the video, had a 24% boost with a 97% confidence level. With the video, I think it was a 17% boost, but it was only like an 85% confidence level.
1: So just to be clear, before these credit card fields and the video, there's, there's a page before that where there's some details being filled in by the prospective customer.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. And I I think that's really the only reason why it worked.
1: Yeah, that would totally make sense because it wouldn't make sense to just shove some credit card fields in front of the the visitor and be like, what?
0: No, no, you're absolutely right. So the expectation is what I was testing uh, on top of the momentum and the clarity. You're right. So because of that prior step and because I was tracking it in the previous test at, at both points, I saw there was opportunity to further improve the overall sales by focusing on the, the order page rather than the sales page. And because they had already, they already sort of committed a little bit, they started, they got their foot in the door on page one, then continuing that commitment uh, sort of plays onto the Robert Cialdini consistency commitment principle where you know, I've already put in my name and address i you know i want this this free trial thing now on that second page just sort of eliminate everything or, or remove it or move it down to the bottom and put that put that one that one sort of band-aid rip at the top which is the credit card which is your, your credit card field
1: the, yeah this is this is interesting
0: i've tested something like this but maybe not on
1: the credit card fields recently and this is, would be an example where the momentum doesn't work in your favor and, and the commitment stuff It didn't work either. So it was an interesting uh, kind of test. We... On the first stage, there's this uh, shipping estimator which was kind of broken. So uh, in terms of like the user experience was kind of broken. So the we actually ran a uh, 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 basically a session recording tool and we found that people were moving their cursors all over the place and they couldn't find the button. So I took out that completely and turns out because of the the card being used, the only other place was the shipping estimator could be put at was at the last step of the checkout after they filled in all the details. So, and I would prefer to put it in somewhere in the middle where it makes sense but like in this case it didn't so we had this awesome momentum going through all the stages of the funnel it was a like seven step checkout process or something and like we had a significant number of, number of people reaching the final page but all that momentum resulted in nothing because um they were they were abandoning the car in the last on the last step because they didn't see the shipping price early enough so if you're I don't know the best term negative motivator i just made up this term negative motivator and motivation is strong enough it could counteract all that good momentum and all that commitment we had getting through to the seven steps or however many steps you have so always be testing i guess
0: yeah th- this is one of those situations where it the answer comes down to it depends so in my two-step process the shipping price is shown up front on step one so we, we've eliminated that negative momentum as you as you call it and yeah it's really not apples to apples it's no no test is apples to apples it's interesting that you lost all that momentum i think some opportunity might be to do some retargeting on those abandonment people and you know exactly yeah you know exactly what what the offer should be too why <laughs> you need the retargeting banner with free
1: shipping it's the only re- only banner retargeting uh because on one of the steps we collected the email
0: so that's email re- retargeting as well. And it, it works great. Uh, excellent. Yes, that even, that's even more powerful if you can email them within the first hour uh, of their abandonment. You, you can capture a lot more of those sales.
1: Uh, while we're on the topic, because we don't get to talk about checkout optimization very often on this show, um, do you have any other thoughts on checkout optimization that you would like to share? Checkout optimization
0: is usually technically challenging, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, a lot of the shopping carts I deal with are not set up for A-B testing you kind of have to hack this particular test was was not with a shopping cart but with an order form which I guess is kind of the same but it, it's a little easier I guess to do A-B testing because I could just duplicate the page duplicate the order form page whereas I can't really duplicate the shopping cart page uh, well I could but it's not worth it
1: yeah I've had a lot of difficulty doing that as well but it's when you actually manage to implement it it's sort of like if it feels good because it's so challenging. <laughs>
0: yes, it's it's a, it's a technical success.
1: <laughs> uh, well, it's quite an interesting question that always comes up. For people ask me this all the time. What do you think about um, the different kinds of checkouts and do you have any experience or rules where each, whether one performs better than another? So the, the three general forms of checkout would be like, one is like having everything on one page. Uh, the second kind would be multiple steps where they have to click a next button. And the third kind is like the accordion style checkout, which is getting quite popular. Do you have any thoughts on which is better in your experience?
0: Unfortunately, I usually am stuck with whatever the client has. <laughs> so... To, to do a complete one eighty and say you know let's test this other one I'm usually limited by the technical parameters of what what the playground is that I'm playing in so I don't really get to check I don't really get to test that radical redesign of a checkout um, other than you know just testing elements within the checkout itself
1: yep so that's my experience as well uh, quite a pain
0: yeah I mean I, I would love to. I'm sure you would too you know, do do a test again. So one step versus Yes, I
1: I try to sometimes, uh, but it's basically for most cards it even if they offer more than one kind of checkout, it would be like a checkbox where you don't really you can't really split test and this is something that is like a major change. So it's it's like there's some resistance to just checking the box without
0: testing anything. It's kinda of risky. Absolutely. Especially at that a critical point in the in the order.
1: Right. So now let's just wrap up. So what would you say is your top actionable tip on improving conversions on a website?
0: I'd say my tip is get as close to the customer as possible. So data is only one way that you can do that, but you really have to drill down deep to understand the visitor's beliefs, not just the reasons why they buy, but really beyond empathy and really what they believe about your product, believe about your your industry, believe about your competitors. The top actionable tip I can tell your listeners is to go beyond the data, go beyond the, the survey data, go beyond the numbers and actually call the customers and sort of interview them. Do phone interviews to really deep at a personal level to understand what they believe. Awesome. I think that's an awesome tip, although it's quite
1: resource intensive. But in some cases, I think that would be totally very useful.
0: Yeah, it's just it's just a a different angle that you're not going to get
1: any other way. Do you find that running like surveys is a good compromise when you don't have the resources to do a, not every client will have the resources to do like one to one calls to customers?
0: Oh, definitely. Advocating, you do phone interviews in addition to surveys, because even surveys will only tell you part of the story. Right, depending on how you how you word the story, or even if you even if you do open-ended surveys, which open-ended are what I usually do all the time. But even that, you're only going to get people to fill out the open-ended who are really either angry or really happy, you know. And then at some point, it's gonna be like, oh, this this is too much work. I'm not gonna type a whole. You'll get maybe a couple of survey responses that are paragraphs long. But if you if you get someone on the phone and talk to them, it's just much easier for them to open up than it is for them to to write out the answer, you know, because a lot of times they also can't, they can't really articulate it, much less write it out. But when you're talking to them, you could sort of walk through the difficulty of articulating that, you know, with, with questions like, tell me more, what do you mean by that? When you say this, what, what do you mean this or do you mean that? Whereas you can't get any of that in a, in a survey. But the surveys are great though. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think both are important. Awesome. Awesome. I think that's a great tip.
1: And even if you know, uh, as a website owner, you're not doing any testing, it's still good to talk to customers. Absolutely.
0: Even if you talk to them and just make changes without testing it. I mean, I can't believe we're advocating that on a conversion podcast, but...
1: <laughs> we are not advocating that. <laughs> but I mean, in the, in the absence of having, you know, having the technical skills and the time to do it, why not? It's, it's, all, it's all about a balance of the resources you have. Of course, a scientific test is best in all cases, but if you don't have the resources or maybe you just have like 300 visitors in a, in a month, then split testing doesn't make sense. So why not talk to customers, especially for uh, businesses which have just started up maybe the, next, the, the first two, three months. It's great to just talk to customers and why not make changes directly on the website when You don't have enough traffic to test anyway, so it makes sense in certain situations.
0: Exactly. You got it. You hit it right in the head.
1: Right. Awesome. So where can people find out more about you and get in touch with you? And could you tell us a bit more about what you're up to these days?
0: Yeah, sure. So what I'm up to is uh, starting to blog some more. I'm starting to get my podcast back out there. I had a podcast a few years ago that's still available, but it's sort of a pod faded. I haven't had uh, any episodes out in a while. So I'm starting to put together some episodes and I'm going to be releasing them soon. Uh, You can just search on iTunes for Bobby Hewitt, B-O-B-B-Y-H-E-W-I-T-T. Or you could just search for Conversion. Uh, Your podcast comes up. My podcast comes up. There's not that many of us out there. Um, You can find me at uh, my website, creativethirst.com you can find me at Twitter under at Bobby Hewitt Um, I also put together a a special free conversion gift for your audience that shares it shares my process and and the tools that I use to increase conversions so I'll put that up anyone listening to the show can go to creativethirst.com forward slash conversions podcast
1: awesome I'll put that in the show notes as well so that people can find it thank you Francis it was
0: great uh, talking to you thank you so much for having me on the show
1: Thank you for the time today, Bobby. And it was great speaking with you.
0: Yeah, it was a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Conversions Podcast. Please leave us a review and rating on iTunes if you enjoy our podcast. We love hearing from you. Connect with us at our website, conversionspodcast.com and let us know what you think.